Hi, everyone. Welcome to Artifact number 32. I am joined by Jessica Schneider and UK painter Ethan Pinch. Jessica actually just completed uh, an article for our website, automachination.com, on James Cameron's The Terminator. And by the time that you're watching this, it's already going to be live on the website. So maybe for context, you could read that. We're going to discuss her article. We're going to discuss both Cameron films, actually. That's Terminator 1 as well as Terminator 2, Judgment Day. We're going to do some comparisons, some contrasts. Um, I mean, both of them to the extent that they are genre films, right? They are very well executed. They are very well done. Um, uh, I, I do think Terminator 2 is uh, a little bit better, although there are honestly some parts of Terminator 1 that are interesting in and of uh, uh, themselves and also you know, perhaps a little bit better than some of the um, ways that maybe either thematic content or perhaps some symbolism or maybe even some anti-symbols were handled right in in terminator one versus two right i i do have yeah. some preferences there um and uh it, it, so so j just by way of introduction right so th this to jessica has has always been a kind of formative film for her in her article she discusses how you know she would be in blockbuster waiting for uh you know to rent a movie right choosing a movie right that's like a common sort of 80s experience 90s experience for me uh, the reason why both of these films were formative, uh, as well as some other Schwarzenegger films like uh, Total Recall, I grew up actually just not speaking English, and I learned a lot of English by watching movies, and I would always watch uh, Schwarzenegger films in the early 90s as I was learning English, and I remember like little by little, right, like first I would not understand anything that was going on, and then he would like, and, and he was perfect for learning English because he would have to sort of forcefully say certain words. And I would say, okay, although it's accented, like I, I've heard this kind of thing before and little by little, right? More and more sort of make, to make sense uh, to me. And I think it kind of explains uh, maybe the way that I am now. But anyway, let's just sort mm -hmm. of uh, uh, get into it. Um, so uh, do you guys like, d d uh, are, are we in agreement that Terminator 2 is probably the superior film? Uh, maybe we could start with Jessica. I would say so, because that film um, definitely hits emotional highs, a depth that the first film doesn't. Uh, the first film, I think, is a great, you know, genre film. It's a great action film. I mean, Ethan had written, he thought it was like a good equivalent to a good slasher film. I mean, I definitely think it's witty and clever, and we'll talk more about why. But with Terminator 2, there's certainly, there's a depth of emotion there. I mean, at the end when, uh, you know, the machine has to be lowered into that, you know, the hot fire or whatever, lob, whatever that is. And you actually, I mean, you, I cry when I see that. I mean, because you definitely see John is this empathetic, you know, soft-hearted kid and he loves the machine, but the machine, you know, tells him, you know, I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. And um, they build this relationship over time. And he serves as a father figure. And then it, this is something I mentioned in my T2 review, which you've not seen, but I'll send it to you um, for next month, is that, you know, it's almost like they, they kind of switch, you know, they kind of like, there's moments where John has to sort of father him, you know, like, you just can't go around killing people. Why? You just can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't really have a reason other than 
you can't because it's wrong, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yes, I would, I would definitely, um, put that one as, um, reaching uh, a depth that the first one doesn't quite have. What, what, what do you think, Ethan? Well, which is, which is superior. Yeah. Um, it, it's difficult to say that there's different, um, there's different ways in which one can enter into uh, a, a film. Uh, I, I mean, these, the, both of these films are Hollywood films, basically. I mean, these are both more so than any film I've ever talked about with you, Alex, or you, Jess, on camera. These are products of, you know, the Los Angeles industrial film complex, you know, and mm -hmm. to the point where they've become part of the iconography if you will, of kind of late 20th century blockbuster kind of popcorn films. You know, you think about Spielberg, you think about, you know, Lucas films, but also James Cameron, you know, and of course he would go on to have even more success later with Avatar and Titanic, it goes without saying. Um, I think it's interesting because even as genre films, uh, and these are, Cameron has a keen awareness of genre. He's, he's, a, he's a protege of Roger Corman, right? Um, you know, Attack of the Wasp Woman, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they, they are kind of interesting in how they are bringing together um, different genre forms, genre sensibilities, as it were. Um, even in the first Terminator film, um, that's, that's a, a, a very American slasher kind of film, right? It's basically mm -hmm. Halloween by John Carpenter, but it's also got a very Italian sensibility to it, I think, when I watch it. Um, the atmosphere, the light, the soundtrack, my God. Um, mm -hmm. The second film um, is, is the stakes are a bit different because the first film, James Cameron is quite happy to have a hit, but with Terminator 2, he needs, uh, you know, he needs a massive hit. He needs a huge success because his, the abyss hasn't done so well financially. So he it needs didn't? to pull out all the stops. No, it didn't really. I mean, no. a lot of, well, he's a, he's a production guy, isn't he? And a lot of money mm -hmm. went into the special mm -hmm. effects of the abyss. And I don't think it really recouped um, um, mm -hmm. its, its profits the, the way they wanted to. So with T2, Cameron needed a huge hit. So here it's much more of a spectacular kind of film. The, the psychodrama, let's say of the first film, is, is kind of uh, replaced by more of a heroic bloodshed kind of film, you know, mm -hmm. um, more, more, you know, um, special effects, more gunplay, dramatic themes of, um, you know, brotherhood, rebellion, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a road trip movie. You know, this is mm -hmm. the genre, you know, I was saying cross genre. It's a horror, sci-fi, buddy road trip film, you know? Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I think, I think sort of, that's it, it's sort of almost bacchanalian kind of over the topness of the second film is what makes it kind of genius in a way it's it's like so um hyped up and so amphetamine driven it, it's kind of really it, it retains a lot of power even though there are some mm -hmm. aspects um that have dated poorly you know in the interim like you could say the guns and roses 
on the soundtrack. You don't you don't like the song? Oh my god! Well, you guys, oh, I, I can give or take it, but, it, but when... it's a specific pop culture reference, which yeah. dates. Uh, I mean, you could say the same thing about like the cars on the road or, or what have you. Well, but, you know, uh, the film is actually set in 1995. It's not. It came out in 91, but it's actually set in 95 because John was born in 85 and he's 10. Uh, so, so that is, you know, that that's a little a little trick because it doesn't look like 95. I know these differences because I'm a child in the, in the 90s. Dude, but that, that the, lost on someone like me who, who was like, um, you know, I was born in right. 95. But right. uh, just to just to answer Alex's question, I think there's actually an interesting conversation we could have about kind of which really is the superior. But personally, the, the impression of the second film on mm -hmm. me was very strong. And, you know, I wasn't born um, when it came out, but um, it was being re-released, kind of shown on TV when Terminator Salvation during the time of the Beijing Olympics was being brought out. And I saw that at roughly 11, 12 years old on television. And it was like a watershed moment for me too. It was like, wow, this is a really grown up film. <laughs> like, uh, well, you know, I'd seen, at the same time, I'd seen Robocop as well. I'd never seen such explosive violence and people saying fuck and asshole every other sentence you know it was just yeah you made a good point there's definitely a lot more cursing in the second one oh yeah it's much more kind of like there's a there's a cruel streak to it as well like um you know like even the scene where you know the comedy moments where terminator kneecaps that alarm agent with his 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 gun and says you'll live you'll live that's quite dark you know even for a night moment yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the the reason why I I wanted to ask which is uh, better. Well, uh, well, first of all, like that's just kind of like where my mind goes anyway, right? Regardless, mm -hmm. if you give me two artistic objects. Um, but uh, when I was just rewatching these films in preparation for the show, uh, I I guess I had forgotten how well crafted even you know a, a sort of like mostly genre film like Terminator was. Um, and also just kind of like uh, beyond the fact that it's well crafted. I mean, there's a lot potentially going going on beneath the surface, mm -hmm. right? So, like for example, like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was uh, when he was first looking at, or rather, like while he was filming without seeing the actual edits, um, I guess in the first few days or few weeks, whatever it was. He was like, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this kind of like shitty film. It seems like a dumb movie. But then when he saw like the first like 15 or 20 minutes, he was like, wow, there's actually something really interesting going on here, which I can sort of imagine. I mean, you can't if really blame sure... him for that either. Considering yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 Like, you know, if most of the time, if you were to shoot a movie like this, you would act in it. You would think like, you know, this was probably this isn't before, really going this anywhere. Right. After Conan the Barbarian it was Conan the Barbarian was before this, wasn't it? Um, yeah, uh, I, I I think yeah. it was I think it was maybe during the same time because he was like filming he was filming something and he was like constantly tired. I think, I think Conan was like eighty three, but again, I'm not an expert on that. Conan, I, 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 I think some of the filming was around the same time actually as he, maybe he was working both films at the same time. But anyway, so when I when I came back to rewatch the film, I was like, all right, so I know what happens here. Let me just try to imagine. Uh, see, uh, like seeing it for the first time, right? Imagine if you've never seen a trailer, never read any kind of synopses mm -hmm. or whatever, what would you think is going on here just without any kind of prior information? And I mean, so like the, the Terminator 1 opens up with this kind of like ball of, of electricity, 
right? Um, it's surprisingly so much of that, uh, so many of the special effects here just aren't really dated because they actually don't go too far. Like they don't push the envelope too much. Whereas I think mm -hmm. Terminator 2, some of the special effects, even though you could tell they're more advanced, they're still very dated by modern standards simply by virtue of trying to do more. Whereas Terminator 1 doesn't really have that problem. So anyway, we have this like ball of energy and, and suddenly we have this like man that appears and he's naked. We have no idea what this is about, you know, what he's going to mm -hmm, do. Mm -hmm. Why does he appear here? And why is he sort of naked standing out there looking over the city? Like as if he has, he's assessing something, right? Maybe he has mm -hmm. some kind of mission or whatever's going on, right? And that that gives it a kind of like odd, almost like biblical quality, right? This kind of naked man that um, is in many ways just kind of like, uh, uh, maybe it's a, it's a bit much to say he's kind of like an idealized physical figure i mean if you look at you know whatever's yeah. considered classical greek or roman uh people don't tend to oh, look well, at that well, he was mr universe wasn't he um, yeah but mm -hmm. yeah but yeah but what i'm saying is like like by ancient standards uh you you normally would not ever have people that would look like that because there weren't actual bodybuilders in the modern sense right so he's a much more kind of like modern ideal man right the kind of proportions that are possible between mm -hmm. everything from like you know uh you know modern sort of uh, uh you know fitness techniques as well as steroids and other stuff like that right but but well, it, he's, it, he's like he's like the golem right yeah 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 but, yeah so exactly that's basically what he is you know yeah and, and it works to his advantage right because if you think about this kind of a uh, thing right that's supposed to be foreign right as a robot supposed to be foreign you know as a you know as someone that seems like it is not a native uh, english speaker to to those around mm -hmm. him right there's a kind of foreign quality and the fact just like physically oh. right he's he's so imposing right um that, that gives him this kind of like otherworldly quality that you don't necessarily get like when you have um i, I forget what what is the name of the the father kyle or kyle Kyle Reese, I believe. Yeah, Kyle yeah, Reese. Yeah, Kyle Reese. Like when you see Kyle appear uh, also from this ball of energy, uh, I don't think he's, maybe he is also totally naked, but his, propor is. his proportions are much more kind of like closer to, you know, more kind of like Greek yeah. Roman, you know, classical. The, 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 you know, the, the I, whole body build, it, it, it's already yeah, exactly. a kind of uncanny thing, that mm -hmm. kind of form but uh, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about um arnold being a foreigner i mean the terminator did this this um uh, one can't ignore the timely cold war themes mm -hmm. right i mean um, uh, i mean basically he's a manchurian candidate he's a he's kind of uh, the ultimate communist in a way mm -hmm. well that re that it's totally open to that reading um yeah perhaps that reading becomes threatened, troubled in the second film. But, you know, at, at this point, like, uh, that, that that whole threat of nuclear Armageddon it is yeah. totally a staple of, like, that Cold War paranoia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I want to actually touch on all that when we get more into uh, the second film. But, um, yeah, so anyway, like, th this is kind of, like, what, how it looks like, right? We have this... Uh, uh, you notice though Kyle comes in and he's not as calm. Like Arnold looks like he's a, almost like a fetus and he kind of like falls. Mm -hmm. It's like more painful. Like they're like, get out of here. Yeah. You and, and, yeah. And he, and he obviously has, you know, actual sort of responses. He seems to be in physical pain. He seems yeah. to be unsure in a way that, um, you know, the Terminator is not. And you sort of, you know, you kind of uh, put together fairly quickly that one of these is, 
you know, uh, at, at the very least, one of them is human, if not both of them. At the very least, you know, Kyle is is human. He has those qualities. I think it was a very good choice to, you know, make him lean, make him kind of like, you know, muscular and athletic in that way, but still not the kind of proportions that Schwarzenegger has, um, mm-hmm. which which gives him this kind of quality well, that, we, oh, this is what well, a human being looks like. The, we know all about the sort of um, story with the casting, right? Um, uh, Reese and Schwarzenegger originally having one another's roles. Yeah, yeah. That Reese yeah. was going to play the Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be the, the, the hero. Um, yeah. Uh, th- this makes me think that perhaps the sneak um, Terminator of the second film was sort of going to be the Terminator we were going to get in the original installment. Yeah, it was supposed to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah a kind of a sort of ninja-like Terminator. Um, it, instead, we go for the, the golem imposing mm-hmm. um, sort of gigantic um, killer, which puts him again, I think, closer to Mike Myers, to kind of the, the sort of the hulking, um, unstoppable killer of John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, but, but yeah, it is funny to think that originally the intention was to um, have Arnie be the love interest slash hero rather mm-hmm. than the, well, the villain. Yeah. And, oh, and I do. I, I think though you got to have the underdog be a little, a little quote unquote weaker. So, mm-hmm. so that's why you know in the second film you have Robert Patrick, who's great cast. Like he's like I say in my review, he's like he's like a snake. He's just like this very thin, and he he gets this menacing look on his face, no emotion. It's like a flat affect. And then you know Arnold being big, but he's a lower model than. He's not a T-1000. He's a T-800. So, yeah. you know, um, you know, I do point out, though, in the review, if, if, if Arnold, he or, you know, Terminator can, he, he can do any voice. And yet, why does he do this Australian, uh, Australian, Austrian oh, accent? You know, it's yeah. just kind of funny because it's like if he can do any voice, wouldn't he just want to sound like, you know, some native Los Angeles person and blend in? But again, those are kind of the suspension of disbelief. You just have to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and for what it's worth, it, it does it does work to make him other, to make exactly. him strange. Yeah. And yeah, it, it at his best in that film, Arnie does sort of totally personify that kind of um, you know golem-like sort of implacability. Mm-hmm. Uh, other other times, I feel like it's not. It's more him just being challenged by his acting abilities. Sometimes, true, true, but yeah. it works. It really does work to his advantage. It, yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think it, disru- it disrupts uh, the film. Whereas, like you know, if you if you imagine uh, Schwarzenegger in like a straight drama, right? It just it just wouldn't work, right? Um, so, and, and I'm glad and that, that acting does markedly improve, or is captured in a better context by the second film you know when mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean he, he, he definitely has, has to do more in that regard um but to get if back we, to the- if one just compares though of schwarzenegger's performance in this first film to the performance of um what was his name again the patrick fellow who does the, the second terminator um in, in the Rob- like, robert, robert patrick. Patrick, yeah like that is just such a focused um laser-like performance you know really okay. menacing Really, it, I mean that's that's really a world away from the from the kind of you know uh, uh, eyes like piss holes in the snow performance we get from Arnie in the first film. <laughs> yeah, and, and and also the um you know the the, the second uh, Terminator right the the T one thousand uh uh 
I, I thought it was a great idea that, well, first of all, it was good that Cameron uh, sort of didn't listen to his instincts about like, hey, let's, you know, let's uh, uh, have these, um, you know, let's have Arnold as the hero, right? This kind of otherness really works for Terminator 1. Yeah. But also you ha- you definitely have a, a kind of a otherness in a more kind of, um, you know, there, there's a more kind of like unconventional, there's like, you know, maybe conventional nightmares and unconventional nightmares, right? Maybe a conventional nightmare might be if you're getting chased by somebody or whatever, right? Uh, clearly kind of like, uh, you know, human or whatever. But there's like unconventional nightmares that would look maybe like the sort of murder scenes that you have in, in you know, with the uh, T-1000, right? For example, the, you know, the knife hand that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, kills the uh, the stepfather, that kind of thing. The fact that you don't even see the death of uh, the stepmother, right? It's just kind of like assumed and it has this kind of like nightmarish, disturbing quality. The fact that he's I leaning that- I would say in the first film, there is much more of this implication. So all that Hitchcockian implication of horror. Whereas in the second film, we, we kind of do get to see much more graphically the, you know, the blades going into people, people getting killed, you know, like um, uh, there, there's much less of that euphemistic metaphorical thing going on in the second film. Yeah. Um, although, although e- even in that case, right, you have um, so like in the first film, right, uh, from the very beginning. Uh, although you're sort of given a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe to like empathize a little bit with the Terminator character in the first few seconds, uh, like when the punks a costume or whatever, and he hasn't done anything yet, right, to sort of uh, uh, get any sort of uh, disrespect or any kind of threats to his life. Um, but very quickly, right, when he just outright murders one of them. By I'm not sure if he actually pulls out a heart or if he, I think he does or if he just you know sort of punches through and you know kills him in that way. But immediately, right, uh, that kind of scene turns you just like emotionally against the Terminator, right? You think like, oh, so this is supposed to be some kind of villain, right? Because a non-villainous mm-hmm. person, even if you know he's trying to protect himself, wouldn't respond in this way. In the second film, uh, you know, like stuff is said you know he he says stuff like well why am i not supposed to kill right and although he says that immediately in the second film you know he behaves very differently right he does not kill in a wanton fashion right um uh, the beginning biker uh, scene he you know he beats uh, them up maybe or whatever and he takes her clothes takes takes her money takes the bike but he doesn't murder anyone right and and he tries to avoid that for much of the film even before he's commanded Right against murder by by uh, John Connor. So um, anyway, yeah. to, to get back to this original idea of like imagine watching Terminator from uh, like before even like having any information about it. So ball of energy, the Terminator sort of standing there. He's like watch. He's watching the city. You don't know where this is going, right? But it seems symbolic. There seems to be some kind of metaphorical quality. You get the the, the scene with the punks where it, it, it's made to sort of completely uh, turn you against the Terminator. And then, you know, we have Kyle, right? Uh, w- what is this about? Se- second time that this happens, uh, you know that they're going to meet in some way, but you don't know exactly for what purpose. So just purely, you know, if you just want to view it as a kind of like, you know, plot machinations, um, they're very well done, right? Like there's like so much suspense. There's just enough information Right to keep you not, you know, totally confused, but little by little things get unfolded. And and before we start recording, we 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 uh, Ethan and I both independently actually mentioned that this is a v- very similar to what happens in terms of like world building in Chris Marker's. Uh, the English translation is the Jetty. Right, we actually reviewed this film in this channel. 
right, some months ago, um, where it gives you just enough information about like what's going on so that you have like a basic, the basic plot behind you. But um, quickly, like we move on to other territory, right? We don't dwell necessarily in those worlds. We dwell in the present day, what all this means in the, in the present day, right? Here we have this time warp, we have other things going on, right? Um, and I, I, I think that's very good, right? It's, it's, it's uh, one thing that is kind of a little bit cringeworthy is when the opposite happens, right? This is much more kind of indicative of like maybe like video games in the modern day where you have tons and tons of writing and overriding all this description of like what's going on in the background, which honestly, it's not it's not that relevant if you could just get it out of the way in a paragraph or so, you know? Yeah. So, which, which is, I think, what puts this in the realm of like a traditional kind of Hitchcockian psycho thriller. You know, I mean, the, the, the similarities to... Lajete are intriguing and sort of endlessly fascinating, uh, but they're kind of superficial, more or less, because it's time travel, right? I think, you know, when I think of this film, I think this is like basically the story of an assassin chasing a, a victim, and the, the, so there's an assassin, a victim, and the bodyguard, and that's like, this is the classic thriller story, but mm -hmm. it has these um, embellishments of sort of Philip K. Dick, Harlan Ellison, um, you know, speculative fiction um, on the end, which sort of get you hooked. But in mm -hmm. that sense, it's a really well-oiled mechanism. This is a Swiss engineering sort of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Everything, there's no, like you're saying, there's no um, uh, desultory kind of like, uh, although there are points in the first film where there is a bit of a lag. Uh, I think about more than halfway into the film, there's a bit of a lag. It, it, it kind of, it, it keeps up its momentum and it kind of does its job. And even more so in the second film, there is this thrust, this, um, uh, um, you know, locomotion where everything just, leads on very quickly and um, uh, very efficiently. Um, Cam Cameron is a very pragmatic guy in terms of his relation, working relations with people, his ideas, uh, the way he does special effects. He's, he's very, um, uh, in that way, he's the master, you know, the, one mm -hmm. of the last in Hollywood today. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things about the first film that really make it resonate is the, the little uh, character, the characters, um, the, the, you know, little scenes that normally wouldn't be uh, as memorable. Like, you know, you have where Sarah's going into her shift and, you know, she's a bad waitress and she lacks confidence and, um, she, you know, she interactions with her coworkers and then you have all her those, roommate. Right. All, all those, those little right. scenes and, you know, um, the... You know, the, even the little scene with like the boyfriend, the roommate's boyfriend, who's like doing a pervy phone call, and that that, you seems, know. Also, that seems also great. Um, uh, or, yeah, uh, br brilliant, and um, um, sort of a again typical sort of slasher film moment. That yep, 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 and then and then also too the the cops, the two cops, and and how they kind of go have a back and forth, and and um, yeah. you know, how do I look like shit? Your mama, <laughs> you know, like just little little things like that that in in a b movie or or something you don't really get those little layers and and so i remember you know when i saw this and and it's also a time travel back into the 80s you know reminds me of my youth and uh, i remember when i saw this it was sort of like you know i mean somebody had once i knew years ago again very base had very basic taste in filmmaking or films rather and mm -hmm. You know, and this is before I even got into, you know, the films I watch now. And he, he just had this idea that I only like these strange, odd films. Where would you get that idea? Anyway, 
And then I said, well, I watched the Terminator Terminator. And he was like shocked that I would think that was good. And I was like, why would you say that? I'm like, you know, obviously it's like not understanding. It's like, if you can write it well and craft good characters and you have a good story, it can work. You know, I mean, you think of watching a lot of the like Hollywood blockbusters and it's all just, you know, brain dead kind of action and um, kind of lose me in that. I'm not, um, but uh, this one, when you care about the characters, you already uh, a good story, good setup. Also the evolution of Sarah's character going from timid in the beginning, but you see elements of her, her warrior quality coming out. Even in the first film, she has moments of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she evolves into being much more tough uh, in the second one. But you know she's underneath that. She's really, fra- you know, she is, you know, um, it's, she's emotionally reactive. She's emotionally volatile, as we see. I, I think there's always a strong element of melodrama. In, mm-hmm. in James Cameron's film. I mean, it's more obvious than saying like um, uh, Avatar or my God, Titanic. <laughs> but, you know, the, the melodrama is definitely there in, um, in Terminator and becomes more pronounced in, in the second film. Like in, in, in fact, becomes almost um, shrill kind of like um, in, in terms of like the emotions going on. But, you know, th- you know this is, um, um, there, there, there's, there's a psychodrama element too. Like, um, of, that I've mentioned, and uh, but it, it, it's you could say there's like a psychosexual, very strong psychosexual element to the film in terms of you know Sarah's a young woman and um, uh, these sort of Freudian elements in it because mm-hmm. essentially the Terminator is coming to kill her because she's going to have sex and um, uh, give birth. I mean, there, there's a kind of a reproductive um, uh, theme going on. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe I'm not um, qualified to really talk about what that is or what that means, but it, it's it's um, it's still relevant now. I mean, God, I mean, like our current mm-hmm. oh right, uh, this whole theme of sort of reproductive rights and sort of people's autonomy and what have you. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and set and and, the, and sex is in the background of Terminator One quite strongly, even with you know from the pervy phone call to like. Mm. Um, Sarah being a kind of like a virginal ingenue, almost like a Virgin Mary kind of figure, right? She's mm-hmm. going to give birth to the Messiah, you know? Yeah. There, there's, there, there's all kinds of... Well, do you know one little subtlety I caught? Do you remember when she's getting the pervy phone call? She's wearing a large white t-shirt and has a picture of the Jetsons on it. The futuristic no. family, the Jetsons. And I go, oh, isn't that a little, a little, uh, yeah. the, the, the space age nuclear family? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, uh, no, it's just little, little things like that. Like, I caught that rewatching it. I go, oh, I, I, I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I see, I see where that comes in. You, you talk, but you talk about the, the characters, like by the end of the film, like we, Sarah's a, a single mother, you know, caught in this kind of quite operatic, um, narrative of you know robots from the future. You know it's it's um, uh, it, that's that's quite an interesting character, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. By the second film, you know Sarah Connor becomes in the sort of most interesting character. She becomes the kind of like main character for me. You know, mm-hmm. so, so, so uh, a particular Terminator. You know, w- w- one thing that I uh, found interesting that Jessica said. So like yeah, like you you, you knew uh, this person who. Um, you know, couldn't uh, believe that you would be interested in, in Terminator uh, if you're interested in uh, weird films by Bergman uh, and and so on. Um, and I, I think that way, like a film like Terminator is a really good barometer for uh, just gauging someone's 
you know, like uh, detached uh, internal consistency, right? Because I can imagine, you know, tons of people uh, that indiscriminately love, you know, like genre films, cult films. I mean, there's whole like, you know, YouTube uh, channels dedicated to this, websites dedicated to like, you know, mm-hmm. we only we only watch horror, right? This is all that we're into. We Horror, 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 right? Other people are just sci-fi, sci-fi, sci-fi. And to them, right, they would probably uh, consider both Terminator 1 and 2 to be classics. Um, but they might not necessarily have a positive response to a Bergman film, right? Or some other kind of straight drama and vice versa, right? There are plenty of people that uh, might find themselves or think of themselves as too serious for Terminator, right? And that Mm -hmm. means that they're closing themselves off to, you know, just some of the interesting objective things that are happening on screen, irrespective of whether or not it fits their personal aesthetic, whether or not it fits, you know, uh, some, you know, outside stuff they might be interested in. So, um, you know, in that way, it's interesting. And uh, so Ethan mentions uh, a couple of times now that this idea of this kind of like Freudian uh, dynamic and uh, I'll, I'll grant, I'll grant, uh, I think this is, this is partly, you could say this is what's going on, but it's a kind of Freudianism that is happening under the auspices of, uh, maybe, uh, what, uh, Ethan had alluded to earlier, this kind of, you know, like capitalism versus, uh, 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 communism dynamic, right? Is this, yeah, you know, but, but is, that is Freudianism and that capitalist critique can, can happen absolutely hand in hand, you mm-hmm. know, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Nuclear family. And what, what is that if, if, um, if, if not kind of a perfect kind of um, uh, uh, Freudian capitalist um, uh, form, you know? Well, going back on what, what you were saying, I think, I think there's this, this sort of idea that people will assume, or, or like, again, that let's say someone like this individual I knew years ago who thought I had, you know, this person has basic taste. They, they have this assumption that I would not look to something as good if it's commercial. Like the two are, if it's commercial, it sucks. And, well, it, and generally it can be true a lot, yeah. but sometimes not the case. Now I'll give another example was many years ago. I remember again, being around people, very basic film tastes, bringing up Planet of the Apes when the, the second Planet of the Apes came out, the, the, the Burton film, which, you know, the mm. first one's obviously better. And I had mentioned that, you know, it it lacked the depth of the first one or something. And and then this girl, just like I worked with, she looks at me, she goes, she goes, it's about monkeys. And I was like, no, it has like political undertones. I'm like, duh. Like, yeah, yeah, I was like, it's very obvious. And she just gave me this look like I'm a snob or or like, like. Animal Farm, that's just a book about pigs. Um, Yeah, and I'm like, like, how can you, I mean, granted, this girl read like Oprah books, but I'm like, how can you not even consider this? And so, so it's like when there's a layer and there's depth, I mean, I mean, I don't know. So, so I think I'm just scandalized Jess gets when people don't understand her taste. (laughs) I don't like when people try to box in. It's not just taste. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't like when people box in what, and again, it, it depends on where but it's it, coming it from. To do, though. But it has to do surely with the, the historical sort of the different ways that people view films. Like we were just mentioning B-movies. You know, people mm-hmm. watch B-movies very differently than we watch our movies now. You know, back in the old days of the Nickelodeon, you know, where you could go out with a bunch of friends in the night, you know, and you could watch five, six movies back to back. And they'd all be kind of shit, but usually they'd be something you know you know there'd be a b movie usually has one or two really good things 
everything else like they have to to have that's how people would remember films and that's how people people would go home and they would talk about them. I mm-hmm. just saw this film and it was like and and mm-hmm. so like films would films would have to distribute that they would word of mouth played a big role and mm-hmm. so there was a lot of you know I mean a lot of cutting corners and a lot of um rough edges but I mean uh being be someone like Cameron is like trying to do everything you know he's trying to give you mm-hmm. the good special effects the good story he, he's making a b movie but he's giving it real integrity you know um uh, mm-hmm. because he wants you to because he wants it to distribute he wants it mm-hmm. to like you know he wants to have like a good uh, um he's not going to do like a hundred films like roger corman you know and maybe five of them are actually pretty good films he's going to do that one really good film that's going to totally you know go out into pop and the influence of terminator you know like we were saying um people might not think this is a very highbrow film and it's not but the influence of terminator in the art world as well as other um, uh, technical categories, technical mediums, like comic books, like video games, like like music, the music industry, um, and not just your know, rock music, but uh, you know, I've seen experimental musicians who are kind of who are like Terminator and you know make reference to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it goes, it's yeah. gone out, and it's kind of like we're saying, it's become like an iconic iconic thing mm-hmm. from just an iconic film but it, it it's made it sort of mark in all these different sort of way it's aesthetic it's sort of um you know it's scale perhaps has made a real sort of difference that has crossed over a lot of different barriers of taste mm-hmm. and discernment of you know what makes um, you know what makes a, a quote-unquote good film Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, like I said, I don't like when people, it depends on where it's coming from and they're trying to box in and they seem to think that I know that they know what my taste or, or, or how I judge my standards. Cause they, I mean, I'm sure there are people I know who think, oh, well, any, she thinks any recent film or whatever, well, they wouldn't say film, they'd say movie is crap anyway. You know? And I mean, it's like, it's like, well, I, you know, not necessarily well, true. To and make a really good film that people, because how many people will have watched these films? You know, who's going to go back and watch the first Terminator film at this point? Um, you know what yeah. I mean? As good as that film is, a lot of people haven't seen Terminator 1 now. You know, they usually yeah. start... Well, and I think... Yeah, I, I, I started with two, actually. I remember, like, it was a while before I went back I and saw one. Yeah. So... Well, I think, I, I, I think I think there's this thing too, and again, it's, it's it depends on who your who your audience is and who we're talking to. No one who's listening to this channel has this issue, but people who you know um, they get to. I've known people who get to a point where they're like they don't watch older films; they just have no interest, and especially oh my god, it's black and white. Oh my god, and it's like I mean, there are people like this out there and and i'm like you know you are totally closing yourself off you are totally like limiting yourself and and i remember thinking okay so how old does a film need to be before you you render it meaningless and worthless you know it's like that this doesn't make any sense but i mean again you'll drive yourself crazy i mean like i can totally sympathize i mean my opinion is that filmmaking went downhill when it stuck when pictures started talking but so like you know but so let's pay no mind to like the philistines yeah Yeah. oh no no i know i know but this is a film that you could also have some cinema people going they're looking at terminator you know and again you could thumb your nose at that alex was talking about the psychology of like of like the terminator thing and it's like and i find in your reviews jess that like you have a really keen sense for like the psychology, the, the inner worlds of the characters and sort of mm-hmm. the way that filmmakers are able to explore that. I mean, don't, don't you feel that there's a kind of, um, 
you know, not wanting to oversell it here, but there is a sort of richness of psychology, maybe at least symbolically in the first film, in terms of, you know, the, the, the motherhood thing, the, the sort of the, the, the war of the sexes, maybe, mm-hmm. capitalism, communism, so I'm working in the background. Is, isn't that there? Don't you agree? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's interesting because it's sort of like, I've always questioned, Kyle comes back in time. Oh, oh one of the things I did notice, Here's here now. I'm remembering what I said. Why she is so drawn to him, obviously, other than being hot, but the fact that he views her differently than everyone else does. He mm. looks at her. It was a chance to meet the legend. Legend, you know, you're a warrior. He he ha- almost has her on a pedestal, yeah. and and she probably likes it. You know, I mean, who wouldn't? And and it's like me, the clumsy waitress, you know, she doesn't even have the little kid doesn't respect her, puts the ice cream in her pocket. And then you have this guy who like calls her a legend and she's like, what are you talking about? But it's just, then I think that's maybe that boosts her confidence. That's where you start seeing some of it come out. Um, James Cameron falls in love with Linda Hamilton. You know, I think like that's all like he he's really is like trying to make you kind of fall in love with her. Like if, if not through Carl Reese, like, you know, the whole ca- the way the camera looks at her, you know, she, she's mm-hmm. elevated. Mm-hmm. In, in, in terms not of the, just the final girl, you know, in, in terms of the psychology, uh, one thing that I found useful is, is to kind of like view the psychology in a kind of, um, you know, robotic, I guess, mechanistic way. Mm-hmm. Um like it, I think it captures the logic of like AI and, and computer programming very well across both films, right? Um, in the second film, like you see more examples of the fact that you know there, there's a big difference, right, between the way that a human being might behave uh, versus a machine, despite the fact that in both cases, right, a human being is you know little more than you know some sort of object-oriented organism. It's just that our objects, like by virtue of being you know complex human beings, our objects can be sublimated in any number of different directions. Like if you want to you know start with the kind of you know evolutionary standpoint of human beings are merely vehicles for their genetic material, and the number one goal is you know, even at risk to yourself, you have to somehow pass this genetic Mm. material on, right? That is a kind of object-oriented behavior. But Mm -hmm. um, the difference is with the machines, right? They have the same objects, but they're far more limited, they're far more specific, and they don't necessarily have uh, a way of discriminating between uh, the right end, ver- r- rather mm-hmm. the correct means versus the wrong mm-hmm. means right. of achieving these objects, and and you see this like, and you see little by little how some of these characters that either believe in this coming, you know, Armageddon in the future, or have already been part of it, they start behaving much more like machines. Like if you see Sarah Connor in the second film. As she she go you know she she's in some ways a completely different actress right in, in many respects in the yeah, second film, yeah. and uh, you see her doing things that are like you could easily miss like when she uh, gets mad at her son right for breaking into the hospital and trying to free her, it's because she has this idea in her head like you know my object now right it's not to merely you know pass on my my genetics that's already done right I have my son right he's already out there. Uh, I have to now make sure that he's protected. And my object now is to make sure that this future either doesn't come to pass or maybe we could reduce it somewhat. Mm-hmm. So she's perfectly willing to like literally die and, and never see 
Her son, again, never have any kind of emotional connection, right? So she's sort of given up that aspect of her humanity. She doesn't totally understand when he starts complaining. It's like, but I wanted to see, right? I wanted to, uh, you know, have, you know, something more to do with you other than you being my crazy mother that I never see again, right? Um, and later on, when she uh, breaks into the scientist's uh, house, uh, what is his name? Dyson? Um, Dyson. Miles Dyson. Dyson. So when she breaks into Dyson's house, it's very much like like a scene that could be from Terminator 1, right? With this kind of totally, you know, object-oriented, goal-oriented being, yeah. right? That is there to do only one thing, just be an assassin. Whatever the externalities are, doesn't matter, right? You have one goal, one goal only. You either hit upon it or you don't, right? She becomes much more machine-like. And little by little, right, there has to be this kind of negotiation between but, the two. But it stops when you have the little boy getting on, don't kill my daddy. Her, it, She mm -hmm. has empathy. She can't do it. It makes her cry, you know? And that's obviously something with the machine. That, but one of yeah. the things, speaking of psychology, I used to always think when, when Kyle told Sarah in the first film about, you know, you've been targeted for termination. I always compared the Terminator to sort of like the way you would think maybe a narcissist or a psychopath or somebody with antisocial personality disorder in the sense that he goes, he doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And he absolutely will not stop ever. You know, and it's like kind of like that's that's how people like that operate. They don't feel remorse. I mean, you know, they, they just don't have the conscience. Terminator doesn't. But then you also look at it and you say, well, the Terminator of himself Terminator, there's no good or bad Terminator. It's just a matter of perspective. It's just how he's programmed. Even if he's programmed to kill the second one, he, the, according to that, he thinks he's doing the right thing. This is from his perspective. Yeah, so putting a human skin on him, right? Giving him something that is like human-like. It, 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 that's why it sort of magnifies what we would, you know, or rather anthropomorphizes what we would say is, you know, this is so sociopathic behavior, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. in that context, it's not. It's merely you know, right, object-oriented, exactly. you know, set of procedures, set of actions, right? Um, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. and so, 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 and, and that also brings me to uh, g going back to uh, Ethan's comments on like, so is is Skynet something that could be viewed as, um, you know, a, as a metaphor for communism or capitalism? Because again, we have uh, 1984, right, is when Terminator 1 came out. We still have uh, the Cold War going on. The USSR is still around. By 1991, I'm not sure if it, you know, came out like after uh, or before the collapse or whatever. But the the, the point is, um, you could you you could sort of say it could be one or the other. But the way that I would view it is, uh, capitalism and communism in ter specifically in terms of, you know, two two cartels, right? You don't even have to take a position on whether or not you like capitalism or communism. You could just view them as as two let's call them sociopathic cartels, sociopathic in, this, in the Terminator sense of uh, uh, there's an object, right? You are object oriented. You have to hit upon this object. In both cases, geopolitically, capitalism has to force itself and spread, 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 right? Oftentimes, mm -hmm. totally by force because not everyone is so, you know, enamored with this idea of like Western style liberalism and communism the same way, right? Uh, it has to spread itself by force, um, largely because not everyone is enamored by this idea or by this, you know, set of promises that if you come, you know, under the auspices of communism, you will get X, Y, and Z, right? Not everybody necessarily believes this. So I, I, I think, um, uh, 
to go back also to this idea of Freudianism, it's it's also like in I would view it under under that rubric, right? This idea that yes, this is a terminator sent back to prevent this woman from becoming pregnant and giving birth to to the son, but not because of any sort of like inward jealousy, but because there was something that was created that just needs to spread by any means possible, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I and geopolitically, I, I would view like again. Uh, whatever whatever cartel happens to be in charge of the world, right? It's always like it, it, in that sort of aspect of just this need to spread, even if there's tons and tons of costs along the way, even if the end goal isn't even all that good, right? I think the point is to focus on what are these you know costs uh, along the way, right? Which is why it starts to see so similar to you know like why the Terminator seems well, so well, similar it's, to it's a sociopath. Kind of apocalyptic eschatology, isn't it? It's like it's, yeah. it's the threat of nuclear Armageddon. I mean, that's there in T1 and T2, uh, especially in very graphic imagery in the second um, uh, film. But it, it's that kind of, I, I don't know what it felt like to grow up in sort of the, the Cold War and sort of like have that kind of, uh, that, that, that thing looming over me. I've, I've talked to people who have. And it's, it's, it's there in so much of it, the meaning. I mean, it, it's just so recognizable at this point. I mean, that's why I think it's important to make a distinction between the first and the second film in, in, mm-hmm. when, when it comes to these topics, because slight, but um, significant differences happen. I think in, in that first film, it is very much, like we were saying, like a psycho thriller. There's this unstoppable killer who's pursuing his victim. In the, in the second film, it's it's a bit different, um, and and the whole the whole time travel logic is a bit different too, because because in the first film, and I, I mentioned this in, in my notes to you guys, and in the first film, it's kind of a bit like a la jete, uh, closed loop circular time travel story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Skynet travels back into the past to kill Sarah Connor, um, but in traveling back into the past. Skynet brings about John Connor's birth, you know, because if Skynet didn't try and kill Sarah Connor, Cal Reese would never have gone back and gotten her knocked up. So <laughs> it becomes like a little closed loop, right? Um, no, in- I always in that scene, I go, now they have to make John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe time. Well, by the second film, the time travel stuff is a, is a bit different um, because the implication now is that Skynet is somehow in this constant war in our present, quote unquote present, um, to write itself into the future. So the normal cause and effect of time travel is has been glitched. It, it's, and I, mm-hmm. I was saying this is almost epitomized by mm-hmm. the second Terminator. Mm-hmm. You know, the r- normal rules of inertia don't work on him, break him apart into pieces. Yep. Which, oh, by the way, together. I'm gonna tell you, so I haven't sent you my review yet, Alex, which I will, I told you, but I the want- The second one? Listen. You mean Terminator yes. 2? Okay. It's already written, yes. I'm going to be sending it to you, but uh, it's for next month, obviously. But um, one, I want listeners to know that there is a scene in there that always reminded me of two Sylvia Plath poems, and I note it in the review, and once you see it, you can't unsee it, and you're like, oh my God, it's always been there. So yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would say the the kind of the threat is is different in in both films. The kind of and and the it, it's it, like the, the stakes are different in a way. Um, it's all it's almost like a different Skynet, as it were. Um, but 
again, that's a, that's almost um, a Skynet a, becomes self-aware. That's the that's the whole uh, the whole thing on that. And that once they become self-aware, they it's, uh, it's, it's like this fear though of something. It's this fear of it. Whereas I feel like in the first film there is this kind of Hitchcockian metaphorical fear. Kind of in in the second film, it's much more literal and superficial. It's like this fear of the future, like a haunted future. Rather than mm -hmm. in a horror film where there's like a haunty past that's uh, threatening to erupt into the present, you know, a ghost, mm. a haunting. It's the future that's haunted coming back into the present. You know what I mean? And it's like, no matter what you do to kill it, it'll keep finding a way to run. So it's almost this now cosmic horror uh, instead of just this um, um, quite European, almost Kafka-esque sort of um, a story of like, people in the, like uh, trying to fight their way out of a, a you know, a, a loop story. Um, it, it becomes something else, it becomes something more spectacular and, and weird, the mm -hmm. weirdness. Well, that's a good, those are some good observations yes. because it's, remember we started talking about this, um, Alex, when we did the before trilogy. And I remember I said, when's the present? When's the past? Because those films all bleed together. And mm -hmm. the same thing is with the Terminator. And that's how we, we, it was two things. It's kind of the time thing reminded me of the films, but also the evolution, like you see evolution of Celine in those films and the evolution of Sarah. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in the Terminators, you're like, what is the present? We don't know. Is, is oh, 84 the yeah. past, but then it's the present then? And it just I, I, I agree, but I, I would also I'm not wanting to forget um, the comments about Sarah Connor and her becoming a, a Terminator, basically. I mean, you see all kinds of these strange role reversions in the second film, and I suppose we're on to talking about the second film now. But, you know, Sarah Connor becomes a Terminator. The Terminator becomes a surrogate father, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Jess mentioned that at some point, even John assumes the kind of father role, which um, I always assumed was sort of like the child teaching the father to be cool. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of awkward generational gap metaphor. But I, I kind of agree with what Jess says. That sometimes it's almost like the Terminator is they, they almost change roles of who is the child and who is the, the parental mm -hmm. thing. I think um, it, I, I wouldn't say that kind of, although I, I think it, it's very much the case and it's almost thematically reinforced that Sarah is sort of, losing her humanity as it were that she is becoming she snarls and, and we literally find her in bedlam in, in that's the hysterical tone of the second film we're in a madhouse for much of the, of the first half you know it was all a dream sarah the first film was that's great classic sort of mm -hmm. uh, genre film kind mm -hmm. of uh, you see that influence in all sorts of things i was just reading a, a comic book the other day um, uh, uh, where, where a, a sort of a superheroine was sort of being told, no, these are all toys, and this is a franchise, you dreamed all of it, and you know, it, it's like, mm -hmm. that's from the mm -hmm. Terminator. Um, but, uh, you know, you know sh she is this kind of mad um, uh, woman, this sort of almost- Well, no one believes her. She's frustrated. I always, I always felt myself identifying with her. I'm like, what's it like but, to know you're right and no one she, fucking believes you? I say, I say she still is the kind of the, the, the protective mother figure. I mean, like this sort of, she, she goes to these extremes because of her almost superhuman love for John. And uh, you could almost say it is a kind of, um, I mean, one could argue that maybe she's just thinking about the future and she's just trying to preserve the quote unquote Messiah. But, you know, um, uh, I think, you know, maybe just because I read so much existentialist philosophy, you know, like, um, you know, existentialists, Kierkegaard even was saying, like, motherhood 
is one of the few places in this sort of cruel and caring universe where like, you know, an animal will place its life uh, it, like on the line for like someone else's life where like, you know, you'll see acts of like incredible bravery and courage um, uh, where people put their own uh, lives in danger. And, but we do see her like come up to a, a line that she's unwilling to cross, you know, when mm -hmm. she is confronted with Dyson's children and she realizes, mm -hmm. you know, it's that horror of the death of children and the murder of children that she were, and we see when she has the vision of the apocalypse of judgment mm -hmm. day it's outside of a playground you know where mm -hmm. she's playing with children that's the real horror so so while i agree that she becomes term a terminatrix as it were she still is very much that kind of freudian hysterical mother almost like a terminator mm -hmm. with penis envy <laughs> and, how, and how convenient is it that Linda Hamilton has an identical twin sister who can be in those uh, scenes? In that scene, yes. In that scene, and then she's girl. also in the scene with uh, when when she's approached, uh, he hurts her arm after that. And so yeah. I, I presume because the arm, because her sister wouldn't have been as buff. So, but then you don't even need to use the special effects. Not the only, not the only scene in Terminator Two to make use of twins. What if you recall the scene with the bodyguard who gets attacked by the T-1000 um, uh, and he the cop, you mean? You, I think you said that. It was the cop? The security guard. The, oh, the, uh, the, okay. Uh, the mental hospital. He's going to get himself a coffee and he turns around and the T-1000 shapeshifts into a image. That's, um, mm -hmm. uh, that's yeah, and being quite pragmatic. And, you know, well, why, why um, uh, do a special effect when we can just hire his brother? Yeah. Um, to, to comment a couple of things that were said. So like in terms of like the more abstract fears going on in Terminator 2, uh, I mean, even the, the T-1000, right? He's he's very reminiscent. Um, and some of these abstractions in general are very reminiscent of uh, maybe like th that white ball that you get in the prisoner, mm. right? As a kind mm. of like, you know, it's a sum of, you know, it's a sum of like human fears. It's sort of like, you know, um, not fully formed. Right. There's a kind of like fledgling quality to it, uh, even to the point where like, you know, when, um, you know, like when when you get sort of uh, caught and, and return to the island, it's always, uh, you know, the the uh, the protagonist's face is kind of like almost like there's some kind of birthing thing going on. Right. It almost looks like that. So uh, there's there's this idea of like these like incipient sort of uh, fears, right, the nightmarish qualities um, and and uh, uh just comparing non, non anthropomorphic is a, is a word is a term you use which i, I feel again like you know he, it's some um, uh it heightens the otherness the the weirdness yeah. the strangeness you know whereas the first terminator is literally you know this skeleton um uh, figure of such such a you know literally the mold of a human um uh, the second terminator is anything but Although it's it still forces right every single time with both films, they're still uh, forced upon you, uh, you know the anthropomorphic quality simply by you know you know looking like a human being, talking but, uh, like but one, that, having you know, that, that voice. That ties into kind of uh, the thing by Carpenter, you know the, this sort mm. of weird um, shape shifting mercurial creature or the alien, as it were, you know that has to take hosts. This thing which hides like a replicant in the in the in in the skin of a human but is is but that's that's the but that is the creepiness as it were yeah. the surface the superficial look of a human but behind but behind it anything but i mean what is that us you know like blah 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. also w- watching both films and going back to the first and uh, vice versa, um, the the two definitely work pretty pretty well together. So like on the one hand, um, okay, so like in, in the first film, uh, the ending isn't isn't very good, or right? I mean, sort of like ends on literal cliches with the storm yeah. is coming, and you know you sort of use uh, that that Mexican kid who looks a little bit like uh you know like a like a Mexican Mexican like pre colonial native or whatever, right? Kind of like the magical sort of uh you know token kid who's able to understand what's going on in the background, blah blah blah. At the same time, like just kind of a barring that specific part of the ending, uh. Uh, it would otherwise be a good ending simply for the fact that so the Terminator, you know, has been destroyed. And yet um, there's still this idea that there's a future that's coming and we're not going to have a movie about it. Right. We know that John Connor has to save the world. We know that Sarah Connor will be part of this as well. We know there might be some sort of a Armageddon event that might not be averted uh, very soon. Um, at the same time, we're not actually going to tell you what happens. That's also kind of subversion. But in terms of like interlinking the two films, like I, I remember uh, just uh, being surprised at how well some of the individual scenes were shot like in in, in T1. So like um, a- after uh, uh, Kyle and Sarah are sort of on the run, they go to sleep. Uh, I think it's like under some bridge or like something, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, it's like somewhere in nature. Right. And I remember when they wake up, there's definitely this like sense of like, well, this is what, you know, post-apocalyptic world might look like because you have, you know, you have some of the greenery, but it's kind of like in these like, you know, maybe random patches. You have all this mist that, you know, who knows where, where it's coming it from. It kind of reminded me of a little bit like Stalker. You know how the yeah, greenery exactly, exactly. and Stalker. Yeah. Yeah, and and so, yeah, exactly. And some of the like the the infrastructure, right? It looks like you know mm-hmm. the paint is peeling, that kind of thing. So there's definitely even in Terminator One a post-apocalyptic feel, like in bits and pieces and hints, right? Scenes that presage some of the more kind of in-your-face things that would be explored and would be in fact happening in Terminator Two, right? And you get a lot more of that um, if you actually go back. Uh, to to the first film after after watching both mm-hmm. of them so there, there's a nice kind of interplay uh going on like this um and like yeah i mean even like the psychology again go, going back to, to the dyson scene uh there's this idea overhanging that scene and others where uh you start to wonder so okay so human beings uh, would behave more and more like machines in order to in this very narrow way like remain competitive I mean, like, what does that even mean, right? Like, uh, are, are human beings superior to machines be- by virtue of the fact that, like, with Dyson, like, we introduce, like, willingly, voluntarily, all these constraints into our behavior? Like, we know there are certain things that we can and cannot do that a machine would have uh, no scruples about. Does that make us, you know, weaker? Does that make us uh, less competitive in some way in the long run? Or is that, in fact, something that goads human beings into being even more competitive down the road, right? By having emotions, by having these sort of things that we respond to in ways that are less predictable than a machine would would respond in, in such ways. Um, I, I do think there's also an interesting argument about this is actually imperative for human competition, right? If you could maximize empathy in such a way, for instance, where you have, let's just use one example, no poverty. I mean, that is going to maximize human, you know, uh, utility that's going to maximize flourishing, that's going to maximize 
you know, all the positive goods. Like, I mean, I think of people like, like Dan Schneider, right? How, how many people are there that, you know, maybe like Dan uh, had these sort of like inklings of something greater than something more, but instead we're swallowed up by their gangs, we're swallowed up by their circumstances, right? So um, that's kind of like an interesting dynamic to think about, just like when you see these divergent paths of, of evolutions that machines and human beings have to take, you know, just by virtue of just having, you know, just responding differently to various stimuli. But anyway. Um, I, I think, I think though that the overall tone of the first and the second film though both of them it is kind of one of sort of cynical almost like apocalypticism mm -hmm. i think there is this sort of the uh, i mean there's hope at the end of the the first terminator film right you know like the, this i mean almost bordering on sentimentality but like ultimately like there, there's this real kind of pessimism i feel about society and about people it going on mm -hmm. in those films mm -hmm. uh, like, even more heightened in the second film like yes. yeah we see like street punks like and um, uh, unfriendly people in the first film what have you in the second film i mean like we start that film and we're like we're seeing like a, a a mental institution where guards are beating people you know we're seeing we're seeing like figures of power or whatever like abusing it and we're, so we're seeing like and you know i'm um all these scenes set in the mall and um uh like uh, the fights at bars i mean it's like and then uh, as if to really hammer the the point home, that scene where the little kids in the trailer park, I believe, are playing with the toy guns, and yep, the yep. Terminator gives this sort of like, uh, "It's in your nature to destroy yourselves," you know, like there's there's this sort of very bleak commentary about, I, I suppose, like you know, society tail end of the Cold War, um, mm -hmm. American society, perhaps. I mean, um, you could say that you know, in the first film, there's something very un-American about the Terminator. You know, uh, the, the very uh, not just his accent, but sort of what he represents. By the in the second film, it's it's almost like you know, yeah, kind of the Terminator is something that we've given birth to, or, or I mean, is Skynet something that's you know trying to get free of humans, or like I mean, what which which is it? You know, um, mm -hmm. um, like Skynet, the hero of its own story. I mean, like, do you know what I'm saying? I feel like mm -hmm. I mean, the film yeah. doesn't really touch on that, but like, and, like and we're saying, like, like, what is the perspective? Of, of Skynet. It really, really isn't much. a perspective at all, you know? It's, yeah. it's just, a, and then, you know, it's the hubris of human beings. That's the real kind of villain of the story, right? Because Dyson, you know, he, even though by the end he's an ally, you know, the idea is that kind of unthinkingly, kind of he's like Frankenstein, you know, because Frankenstein is the villain of his story, the original Mary Shelley, like his, his hubris, right? Like it's, um, it's the modern um, sort of ex, you know, almost like unchecked, acceleration of technology that's going to be our downfall mm -hmm. you could say that's a, a reactionary streak in cameron and to all of sci-fi in a way mm -hmm. you know the robot that turns on the master blah 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 but it's there you know and um, uh, what, I, what, I, what, what do you mean by reactionary in that context the, the fear of you know the fear of uh uh technicism of, of technology of artificial mm -hmm. intelligence what have you you know of you know going all the way back to like those first ever you know robot stories of you know the the workers turning on the master, you know, or um, uh, you know of um, auto uh, auto automation, sort of like um, uh, the the assembly line, you know, um, uh, fraction fragmenting society, you know, like uh, people working in those Fritz Lang metropolis factories, you know, that's that's everyone's fear, and it's like it's based in real things, 
you know, mm-hmm. like we all live in capitalism. We all have to like work these shitty jobs and all this. Like, like I mean, that I think, you know, th- these this is the undertow of a lot of sci-fi, this sort of, as we're saying, speculative fiction, you know, kind of Philip K. Dick. There's a huge reactionary streak in Philip K. Dick. You know, he's a born-again Christian. You know, his fear of robots and mind readers isn't for nothing, you know? So, like, I think there is a conservative streak sort of in the storytelling of, of, of Terminator. But, you know, that's neither here nor there, you know? You know. Mm-hmm. And, and this idea of, like, you know, did we, in fact, uh, give birth to all this? I mean, it's, it's not even just, um, you know, uh, uh, fear of robots in terms of, let's say, uh, uh, automation. And, and we have, like, the Fritz Lang's... Uh, kind of like you know factories or whatever it's also you know at this point right uh, as time goes on this has different faces right this has different uh layers to it in the modern day right the fears of automation is now we don't have jobs now you know are we human be, human beings not going to have a utility right recently there was uh, those controversies about using ai for illustrations like you know you, you guys watching this could google this now like uh, look at look at uh, that. Um, I forget which magazine it was, but there was some story recently about uh, Alex Jones, right? And uh, the uh, magazine used an AI rendered image of Alex Jones, and I mean, it's exactly what you would get from an illustrator, right? It has a sort of car- cartoonish quality. It captures like the the kind of like logic of him, and you know, it's like those, it's like things like that, like little by little. I think some you know, of these individual cases may be overstated, but yeah. but I think. Uh, ultimately, uh, what was I going to say? It, it, it still is a, a, a fear, a modern fear. It's a fear of kind of a, something that is specifically modern. I think this, uh, uh, have we given birth to something we can't control? What, how, how precisely are we in control? You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, um, uh, how much can we change the world? You know, um, uh, how much change can one tolerate? And, you know, the control, you know, a, a very mediated world we live in now. And, and yeah. why do we decide that our our life is worth more than, say, the machine? I mean, you know, like like when John says, you just can't kill anyone, people. Why? You just can't. He doesn't have an answer. It's just you just can't. And it's just why do, you know, why does anyone value human life? Why do we value human life? Because from our perspective, we decide that human life is important because that's what we are. Yeah. Um, but you know, ask some other being. Maybe they, you know, they don't think they don't agree. Skynet doesn't agree. On, so on some level, I I think it's a really kind of like brilliant touch, especially in the second film, to not even try to answer some of those questions, and in fact, kind of make fun of them, like uh, this idea of like, why can't you kill someone? You just can't. That that's that's really you know more or less how most people would respond to like you know trying to defend like a certain kind of like value. Right. Values that are, you know, perhaps like uh, if not totally divorced from logic. Right. Mm-hmm. There's that kind of like a whole, um, you know, uh, a fact value distinction and whether or not actually there, there is a distinction uh, is uh, beyond the scope of, of this video. But basically, like most people would sort of have that knee jerk reaction when it comes to defending their values as facts. Right. They would just say, well, you just can't. Right. And in fact, like uh, back to that Dyson scene, um, 
this is kind of like made fun of, right? Uh, beyond not offering an answer, there's a point where uh, Sarah is like, you know, she's like, even after she decides not to kill Dyson, um, she's she's getting upset at him, right? And she's like, you know, like you men making these war machines, have you ever actually created anything? Actually felt like, yep, yep. and and immediately, you know, her her son, you know, behaving mm-hmm. you know, like like a kid, but there's actually depth to it, right? He stops her and says, "Mom." Stop he, again. She, yeah, she, like she, she and 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 she, and she she's in the middle, like saying stuff that is like total like writerly cliches. Yeah, you, that it's like you men. It, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. like it's like it's like total like writerly cliches. More constructive, constructive yeah. here. And and, and, and he, he he not only stops the cliches, but he also prevents further answers right that maybe you know because maybe they don't really have uh the kinds of answers that she thinks that you know she's working with or whatever so mm-hmm. th- those are nice touches you could easily miss right you could easily think oh that's just a kind of like you know mother-son joke but there, there's a lot of layers right in the film that um you know are, are worth pondering that way mm-hmm. well one of the things i note in my second review is that again suspension of disbelief is that if john is so important why wouldn't they just literally just put him in a cave and cover him with bulletproof jackets and like hide him and then just destroy the Terminator themselves? But then again, you wouldn't have a movie. So, you know, you, there's all those kinds of things that you just have to just accept. And and, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not one of these kind of like, eh, eh, eh. but it is whenever you get these time traveler things, and these kinds of things, there's always going to be sort of these paradoxes. And you're like, eh, no, 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 I don't know about that, you know, but that goes with the that goes with the territory. So. I think I think most of James Cameron's films tend to lag in the last act, if you want to call it that. Um, um, just this just seems a problem with his storytelling generally. Well, so like we, we touched on this before, but uh, what do we, what do we think about the use of of music? Right, I I, I found it uh, effective in Terminator One. Just to go back to this idea of uh, you know like a kind of you know this uh, psychological thriller. First yeah, one. yeah, it's, it's it's very minimalistic, right? But it works like in terms of every time that you have the Terminator sort of uh, going, you know, towards his target this, in like, some way. Yeah, there's this kind of like, you know, there's this kind of like a synthetic sort of drum thing going on, right? It sounds, you know, foreign. The fact that it's so kind of, you know, insistent. Almost like it has this... menacing footsteps. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then you, I was just going to comment briefly about the Guns N' Roses. Uh, you said, Ethan, you didn't think that aged well. I'm going to just tell you. So when I when T2 came out in 91, that's like, was it like Fourth of July weekend? I didn't remember the weekend. I looked it up, but it was 91. And that song was everywhere in the commercials, everywhere. So you saw the Hasta La Vista baby. 10 trillion times it's not funny after the 10 trillion time you know so it was like done to death and i i don't remember they had sp- sponsors was it with coke or i don't even know but you'd see it everywhere it was it got really tiresome but there is a reference to guns and roses if you saw you probably saw that when he has the gun in the box and, and the it pulls roses. it out yeah. and the roses yeah i mean but that's 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 whatever i mean like th- there actually aren't a lot of those I mean, I'm aware of how much of a pop culture, well, mass culture sensation it became. Uh, although there aren't a lot of specific references to pop culture things, you know, like bands that that really serve to date it in that way, apart from those that we've mentioned. I mean, except for those very specific things like, you know, the make of 
cars on the road or someone's fashion sense but mm-hmm. if you know like i'm uh, the the plaid shirts and what have you yeah um, yep, very um, 90s yep yeah it, but i think a lot of those differences between the first it can be almost summed up in in their use of score the first one very atmospheric very cold has that european tech sort of you know synth Tech noir. You brought up the t- title of the ba- of the yeah. bar she's in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point in the film, it could very easily be like we're watching a Lucio Fulci film, like we're watching an Italian, you know, um, a slasher film, you know, about some uh, dancer, you know, nightclub mm. dancer being stalked. Mm-hmm. By by Which, a, by the way, four fifty to get into a nightclub in downtown Los, Los Angeles in nineteen eighty four. Four fifty, and it's all this like very eighties techno-y music. It's so yeah. like, you've got me burning. <laughs> I, I, I actually thought that the use of LA, um, and obviously, you know, like nobody would really know, but like there, there's this, uh, uh, just like you know, Robocop uses sort of a Detroit in the eighties. Um, in a way that's kind of like very prophetic, right? In terms of like what Detroit eventually became. Um, I mean, you already had like inklings of that, which is what I'm, why I'm guessing uh, they sort of went in that direction to begin with. Um, but I mean, using LA in 1984, then again, especially in 1991, uh, you know, it had its own kind of like almost like apocalyptic sort of events. Uh, on the one hand, right, you had uh, the kind of like, you know, the peaks in in crime in, in the 80s, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is why, you know, like a sort of like a, a film like this might work yeah. specifically in a city like this. But I mean, also, you know, we so had we also we get had the- shots of the suburbs. I think that's an important thing. You know, oh, yeah, as well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. the dingy stuff we get. We, we see American suburbia. Mm-hmm. And he and runs yeah. over the little truck. And there's a lot of other little things like when, remember, he pulls the guy away from the payphone and he goes, hey, man, you got a serious <laughs> attitude problem. Yeah. that, <laughs> that, that was little touches. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't, um, well, I mean, I, I guess it is like realistic in the sense that, uh, you know, like this, uh, he, he, that guy probably didn't want to actually start a fight with such a large man, right? He thinks yeah. he's a man. Most likely, but I mean, yeah, like the, the use of uh, the city, right? Like LA is obviously often a, a focal point, right? Whether it is Blade Runner, whether it's uh, something else, the fact that it's Hollywood, the fact that it is a kind of cultural epicenter, right? Seeing it, you know, I burn up itself well. To like, I mean, like the, yeah, the yeah. it has a history of, of noir, right? Mm-hmm, of like, mm-hmm. like the slash the suburban slasher films we we were mentioning, like uh, the, the it, or even like Chinatown, honestly, like that's also. Um, that also works. Yeah. 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 Uh, and um, uh, I mean, also the fact that it is the land of Hollywood, you know, this is like the land of uh, like films and like, mm-hmm. of like, uh, and I, I think, what is it, uh, the chasing in the second film when they're riding down the, what is it called? The flood bank. The, um, mm. uh, the I mean, that's been in so many films now. Do, do you not recall mm-hmm. like that? that I think I know. Movie. When is that when John's on the bike and then yeah, the, he, the infamous he, motorbike scene in, in that? I yeah, think, and he pulls him off and he's like, You're a, yeah. you're coming over here. That, that location has been used in so many different films now. It's a bit like that tunnel in um, mm-hmm. the other Angeles tunnel from Blade Runner and all that. Other stuff. I mean, that's such a well crafted like that scene. It's I mean, you just, it's I just mean, like, and it, it just shows you, I mean, again, really well done action. It's not just brain dead explosions. Yeah. You know, this guy is coming for you. I mean, he's in this, you know, and then John's like, okay. He's like, stop the bike. Okay. You're not here pacing, to kill me. The pacing, I figure that out. The pacing of it is great. Yeah. It, it, it feels like, um, like a scene or uh, like echoes from old Spielberg as well, especially Duel. 
by um, uh, Spielberg's first film, which was like a, a chase film. Uh, I mean, it's, um, um, I mean, the, the motorbikes as well. I mean, there's, there's more of an emphasis on cool in the second film, I think. I think that word's important in, in sort of this context. Like the emphasis on youth rebellion culture, not just yeah. with John being the snarky little teen boy, but, you know, leather jackets, okay? Sunglasses, like rock music, like gunfights. This is like a Hong Kong action film, you know, where, where this is real kind of like hero shit. You know, like, um, uh, I think it's really interesting as well because I, I, I forget, I think Alex was mentioning this too, how, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of against the Terminator in the first film. We want Sarah Connor to win, okay? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think Cameron was really ahead of the curve when it came to like thinking about the story for the second film, because think about other franchises with recurring monsters, right? Especially uh, Friday the 13th with Jason, right? Oh God. The first film, you know, Jason's chasing around teenagers and you're like, oh, get away from that fucker. But by the, by the third or fourth film, you're with Jason, right? You're like, yeah, yeah fucking yeah, kill those. They're, they're, like, they're fucking like, in the woods. Cameron, they should Jones die. Makes the Terminator the hero, like straight away. And uh, yeah. of course he makes him a proper hero. He doesn't have him be a killer. He's Batman, right? He'll take you right up to the edge of death. But like the ninja code forbids him from ending your life. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's it. Although, you know, obviously there's the whole story about John teaching him, humanizing him, teaching him not just with the lingo, but with this human ethics right which is somehow un unexplainable but paradoxically you have to explain it now to this robot um a bit like how you have to explain it to a child anyway um mm -hmm. uh, our child our children a bit like robots you know we create them in our image we have to um anthropomorphize them we have to make them humans um is that what's going on how you know do children teach us to be more human uh, more themes um but you know uh it the emphasis is on cool and youth culture and um spectacle glamour you know th th these are these are really and I, I think in the hands of more lugubrious directors like this tendency can run amok sometimes and mm. you know it can become a bit you know exhausting and certainly in Cameron's other works it, it does be, you know and even by the last act we become a bit exhausted with the proceedings and we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, just fucking kill the fucker already. And the fucking, everyone go back to your own time and let's get this all sorted. Um, but in the middle of it, while you're there, um, um, the, the melodrama works. You believe in the, sort of like the characters. And, and, it, and at the same time, while all this is going on, um, the, the cool factor keeps up. You kind mm -hmm. of, you're, you're still going, wow, and awesome and great. You know, yeah, yeah, you cheer when you pick when you pick some John off his bike. You cheer when he um, uh, you know blasts the Terminator through, and he has the big um, you know uh, liquid mercury yeah, 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 yeah. crater in him. You go, yeah, fuck yeah! Like so, that's that's the main thing. That's that's not really there in the first film, where it's more mm. like you know thriller kind of. Oh fuck, get away from that fucker! Second film, you're you're cheering and yeah. you're kind of like and when you, you ask them a vista, you go, fuck yeah, honey, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, you you bring up a good point, like with the like Friday the Thirteenth. You know, by the third, fourth film, you're on Jason's side. You're like, come on, yeah, Jason, get him. And, <laughs> and it's like, and that's how I felt. I mean, I didn't see. I thought I think I saw the third Terminator film, and I honestly don't consider them even part of the Terminator. I think of Terminator as two films, and yeah, I know they made all this, them, yeah. all these shitty films after. And so, yeah, by that point, I'm going to be like rooting for the Terminator to kill him because I don't care anymore because it sucks. Mm. And I mean, I think I did see the third one wasn't, I mean, no, it's not even 
it's like a B movie. I mean, it's not even worth mentioning in that sense. It's sort of like with, you know, with the aliens too. I, I really think of two alien films and then the rest are irrelevant. It's just junk. I mean, maybe not junk, but you know. My, my family, my family are a bunch of kind of like Mormons and ex-Catholics, right? You could put them on a sofa and get them to watch Terminator 2. You know, they might cringe at some of the, the violence and swear words and stuff, but you could not get them to sit through Terminator 3. Well, how do I know? Because I, that's how it happened. This is how I saw the Terminator films. During like the 2008, you know, when they were bringing out Terminator Salvation, as I was saying, they were replaying all those films on TV. Mm. My family sat through the second Terminator film and they, they enjoyed it. You know, they, they, Cameron works like that. Put on True Lies. Your family can sit through it. You know, different generations can sit through it. Kids can watch it. Um, adults can watch it. Put on that Terminator 3. No, that people are going to, they're going to have their phones out. They're going to wander out the room. Someone's going to go, oh, that's a bit gauche, you know? And then, yeah, you know, yeah. that the difference is marked and, and salutary in that sense. You know, this is the quality that you get in the second film. Although there, there are some has things. There, that, has there ever been a film, like a third film in the series or something that was actually like the best or something? I, I mean, I can't, maybe off the top of my head. I mean, I, I don't think any film, any kind of sequel gets better uh, past, uh, you could argue the second one is like with Terminator past that. I, d I don't know of any, if anyone can comment and say, do, do you, you know you, of a series that like by the third film was the third that, and, that someone says, Oh, the third film is the best. You, you, you could probably view this in terms of like, you know, first of all, uh, just in terms of how this would be uh, selected uh, for, for there to be a number two or a number three, uh, there has to be something of sufficient quality or just importance or like whatever popularity mm -hmm. in one or two, right. Mm -hmm. For you to get to number three, but oftentimes by that point, right. Um, you sort of gotten everything that you needed to say in, in the first one or the second one. Mm -hmm. So anything after that is just going to be, you know, a, a commercial retread, right. It's just going to be say, placating someone else's desire. I, I will say something popped into my head and I don't think these are obviously highbrow films. Freddy Krueger movies. The third one is called, it's the Dream oh, Warriors. Dream Warriors. And it's yeah, it's yeah. set in a mental institution. It's the children of the parents who were harassed. That one actually, I mean, again, this is not high art. No, I, but I that, agree with you. that one I thought was much better than the even the second, maybe even the first. So maybe that's maybe the one exception. Yeah. But again, I it's also a- add the, I would also add the third Halloween film is much better than the second one. Um, okay. Yeah. They, again, they I think these are, that. again, these are genre slashers, so genre. maybe you can get away with that there. Well, well, well inherently, the genre film lends itself to pre to sequels, doesn't it? You know, mm -hmm. like, um, mm -hmm. so, I mean, try and come up with a sequel to Eight and a Half. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. Um, the, <laughs> they the tried, they called it Nine. I don't think it did so well. Oh, yes, I, I heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> The, the last thing I'll say is, um, so uh, maybe this is more directed to Jessica and, and Ethan mentioned some of this. So like there is like a more an, an emphasis on youth culture uh, in Terminator 2, right? And it's a little bit reminiscent of maybe some of the kind of stuff that I would see maybe because it was, you know, so influential, right? Uh, I mean, who knows what, what uh, the directionality of stuff like this is, but I remember seeing some you know stuff like that in in kids shows in the 90s but mm -hmm. jessica like do, do you view anything about terminator 2 specifically or maybe even terminator 1 as kind of like 
maybe symbolic of the '90s, inaugurating mm-hmm. uh, the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like, what, 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 in what ways does that meld into like the decade in general? Oh, because you want to be focusing. You're going to do your '90s decade, right? Well, you know uh, well, what? eventually, yeah. Well, eventually, when I do you, that book, right, I'll you, you'll yeah. you'll probably write some stuff for it as well because I mean, I'd love li- to. Li- living through it as an adult, right, gives yes. a new kind well, of. Well, I was not an adult; I was still a young person. I'm not that old, but no. Okay, so you made a good point about this. There's Terminator Two being there's a like a lot of chase. Um, that same year, Thelma and Louise came out. That was a big hit. Again, another kind of road trip film. Um, yeah. It's um, uh, in terms of, let's see, in terms of the 90s, um, you know, it's kind of like the 90s, 91. There was just a quiet kind of quieter time. Let me try to remember some of the uh, Metallica's Black Album came out Um, again. Guns N' Roses was huge. Uh, A lot of a lot of, um, you know, you would go to the film movie theaters to see the films and. And what you know, definitely very different from streaming. Also, the the '80s one, the the first film, very much just total night, very '80s. You know, like I said, the tech noir, the dance. '80s was very like dance. You know, you know, Depeche Mode, and they were big in the '80s, and I mean, some in the '90s too, early '90s. But it's like just a totally different kind of like vibe than the '90s. Again, flannel shirts. You see that. You see this is the birth of Nirvana age. Um, Pearl Jam, uh, the grunge bands were were huge. Um, there was a grittiness in a way to the '90s. It's like it was almost like I think the '90s kind of like is a rebellion from the '80s. I feel like each maybe each one is a rebellion of the one before. So like '80s was a lot of big hair, makeup, foofy, big shoulder pads. You know, a lot of makeup and shit. '90s plain, um, got rid of the bangs little to no makeup but almost like a throwback to the 60s uh you know hair uh, colors were very like muted uh beiges uh you know in a sense you could say boring looking back you go eh, it's kind of boring but 80s were very vibrant and fluorescent colors and it's just it's just funny how how then again it's a matter of perspective you go on etsy now you can find stuff from those eras that you like at the time you're like ew i don't never wear that now you're like Hell yeah, that's vintage. I'll buy that. You know, it just. So, I mean, simply because no one else is is wearing that now, right? Which is yeah. which is why it would work, right? Um, yep, yeah, and it's totally like even my like my mom. She's like, you buy, you buy, because I I do go on Etsy and I do buy vintage stuff, and I, I will buy. You know, again, that's technically used clothes, but it's from an era, and it's it. You know, now you can do that, and and now what you thought was nerdy then is cool now, and. Again, yeah, because not everyone's doing it. So you want to rock the flannel shirt? You can do it. You know, like it's just all how you wear it. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. very, very, I think a rebellion-ish thing from the previous decade and definitely in terms of fashion. And, you know, right. you just it saw did, it in music. That, that's an interesting comment about the colors because I, I definitely associate the 90s with uh, an extremely colorful palette maybe it's because i was you know uh kind of like a kid that was like pre-consciousness in some ways right i mean it was uh, uh w- when i think of like kids programming when i think of video games when i think of um uh you know like everything that was kind of like throwing us as kids i don't know you know it might not be that different from decade to decade because i assume that kids in general res- respond to colors right um, well well you know things that were colorful 
they used to have those horrific exercise suits. They would be mm-hmm. like, you'd wear the track pants and then you would put a, a thing and it would be an outfit. You'd go out and, and it would be like, floor, you know, it would be bright pink or blue. That was very early 90s. Um, that was that was, that was was also 2000s. I remember like the fucking, the velour suits, right? That was, uh, yeah. that was a wrap thing you, as well. And then you had people though, who were late to the fashion. So you always knew and it's like in the 90s and you still have the 80s bangs. You're like, Okay, they're not they're from a small town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um all right, well, I mean that, that's all I gotta say about Terminator. Are you guys uh, good on that? Um should yeah, we transition yeah. to the bonus so, show? Yeah, well, okay, my review for the one and then you know, um when I send you for next month, the readers, you guys can see the second one. Um okay. and the two the two poems that that one I reference in there, and I go, they, I found that now. No one else will unsee it. Um, anyway. Okay, so I want uh, to say though, before before uh, before you sign off, like just to add to kind of this this general sort of point about nineties, like I want to, um, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned before, kind of the the influence of um, sort of Japanese and sort of Chinese um, uh, culture, kind of I think you can see in the film, and I think especially the nineties and two thousands at this point, where you see almost this um, apogee. Of, of of like cultural exports from Asia and Japan and China in um, in the West and in America. So this this in, increase in films, in books, in TV shows, anime, manga, that sort of thing. I think you can see all of this in in the, the second Terminator film, especially mm. the influence of uh, Akira. Um, uh, mm. um, uh, there are so many shots and a huge amount of the special effects are, are right from Akira. Uh, Alex was mentioning sort of the, the, the sort of the, the ball, the teleportation ball, like, but they're not all sort of the, the, the mercurial weird special effects. They, these come straight from the, the language of, um, um, of Japanese um, uh, cinema and cartoons. So I, I think that's a really interesting thing. And something that's almost lapsed now. I think we've we've seen a kind of a drop off of that kind of halcyon days. I mean, now it's Korea that's the new soft power in the West in terms of just Squid Games, in terms of um, 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 you know just at the Oscars that film Parasite and and their music. My God, the huge so so just that's another thing that sort of places this really sort of strongly in the nineties, kind of the, the 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 Japanese thing that's going on there. So the mental street there. Okay. So uh, in the show notes, you guys will find links to uh, Jessica's article. Also, I'm going to put in a link to Jessica's latest book. Actually, she she wrote a, a book of poetry recently. So maybe in December, we'll get the uh, Bruce Ario show out, uh, a show on, on uh, your book of poetry. But right now, we're going to transition into the bonus show. Um, we're going to be carrying this conversation over discussing new topics i want to ask ethan pinch about the monarchy in the uk uh everything you know that i could sort of see is just kind of from the outside i want to hear it from the man uh himself who is uh, personally responsible for the queen's death um but if you want to if you want to listen to this you got to get the um uh, patron show uh on patreon right that's patreon.com slash Automachination, you're going to get access to not only this show, but all the uh, back bonus content and all the stuff uh, going into the future. Again, once we transition to $500 a month on Patreon, I will be uploading videos of myself, perhaps even live, just straight up working on my creative work, right? A lot of people seem to be interested in this. 
right? So uh, maybe you could get some utility from that. But thank you guys for watching. Hit like, hit subscribe, and we will see you uh, on the bonus show.